0: Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Inspiring authors and readers since 2006. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, episode 274. S. Ron Mars, eat fish and die. folks, thanks for tuning in to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. On the line today is the author of the new sci-fi short story on Kindle and Audible. Uh, the name of that story is Eat Fish and Die, and his name is S. Ron Mars.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: So <laughs> it's, it's going to get a little bit confusing because uh, this is a pen name, and then we're going to have you on in a later segment in the show with your real name. So can we allow people to know... Who you are?
1: Yeah, I think they'll figure it out. I mean, you know, I can talk with a a New York accent. (laughs) I can try to cover it up, you know. Let them realize there's two people inside this body.
0: Okay. Saul Garnell is the author of the Starhound series with Hotspur Publishing. He's got a new short story. And so what we're going to do, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to share a five-minute sample from that, uh, which is very cool and has a, a great narrator on there. And then we're going to go into an interview that I did with Saul and David Bischoff, um, the publishing team behind Hotspur Publishing. So Saul, tell us a little bit about Eat, Fish, and Die.
1: It's a it's a bizarre little short story. Um, it's only 5,000 words that started with me arguing with a friend living in China about the the, the, the meaning of, well, of consciousness and and what the mind is and all this kind of stuff. I mean, if you read my first book, Freedom Club, um, it, it's got a lot of things in there, I think, try to, to, to delve into the topic of what is the mind and what is consciousness. And, you know, these kinds of philosophical con- uh, conversations tend to be, um, you know, well, there's no, tr- you know, you can't prove anything. So of course, um, you know, it could be all bull, but we, uh, we, we started arguing about uh, who's right. And I said, uh, or it, I think it was, uh, I think it was my friend who said, um, well, you know, what about dolphins? You know, we, these kinds of conversations tend to lean towards animals and what's a conscious animal, you know, versus man as a conscious animal. And at one point, I think I said, well, let's say you took a dolphin brain and you ripped it out and you put it in a robot what would it do and my friend said oh that's easy he would just kill us all the first thing he would want to do is just kill us all <laughs> and i was thinking well maybe depending on the dolphin but could could be <laughs> not not impossible so um that was how uh and at that point i said hmm well you know if there's ever a premise for a story let's go with that and uh, i started writing it and it was actually quite difficult um i spent i spent a bit of time Trying to, to to well, of course, I wanted it to be funny. I can't imagine writing something like that seriously. I guess you could, but it seemed much better if it was just kind of half chaotic uh, and crazy. But um, there is there is something in there that people notice when they read it. And uh, working with my friend, this guy named Gary, um, we we just started over the next year or two, just making jokes slowly. That uh, you know, and and I would write things, and and he was great because you know you need a partner sometimes. It's very true that in comedy there's partners work on on jokes because you say something, you know, I, I, my jokes tend to be clean. So I'll say something, you know, that, that tries to be funny, but it's clean. And then, and then Gary takes it in his mind is on the other side of the spectrum. He makes it absolutely horrifically filthy along with it being just about illegal, you know? And then I'd say, well, you know, you know, I cannot, you know, I I don't want to get arrested here. So, so let's do this. And then we kind of, you know, I, I make something in the middle ground and then, you know, Gary pushes it this way. I push it that way. And then, you know, in the end, it it's kind of borderline insane, but but funnier, much funnier than the clean version. And, you know, and so it goes. You make another joke. um, <laughs> and, and this is how this story was constructed slowly,
0: bit by bit. I liked it. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, it's it, it's nice to have a short story that has a, a good, strong voice in it and to pair it with a strong narrator that really fits the part. It was a pleasurable experience. So, so good job on that.
1: Yeah. Th- this is character. This is a, a, a very good example, I guess, of a character driven story. I guess if you want to, you uh, know, stereotype it or, or categorize it. I mean, th- this, this guy, this nutcase and the, the it's uh Joachim Merlot, uh, Jaco, uh, you know, is just, um, Well, when I when I created him in my head, of course, I had this uh, New York thug in mind, you know, just this guy from New York, you know, kind of get in your face and, you know, don't tell me what to do, man. You know, I'll tell you, you know, uh, kind of dude. And, uh, you know, I had him rolling around in my head for a long time as I wrote it. And then, um, of course, like you said, um, but that was in my head. And then I tried to get it on paper and i think it's very difficult when you write that kind of stuff with all the jargon too uh people if they're not familiar with the new york accent i mean i grew up in new york so you know uh you know and everyone likes the what is it the sopranos and all these shows so if you know these things fine but if you get somebody who absolutely has no connection to that they think you're out of your mind but um it worked out when we when i met the the voice talent john pio uh on on acx it was just instantly uh, a perfect match i thought
0: yes so he <laughs> i thought he did a good job he also does he play the dolphin too
1: yeah believe it or not he's he's everything and i'm I'm making a sequel he's got to play more than one of these kinds of characters in the future he's going to run out of whale voices cetacean voices i'm I fear of pushing it um and and in fact you know <laughs> the idea of of, of doing a, a character that's talking in a half alien animal lingo. I mean, I just started like, like a monkey pounding on the keyboard looking for just, you know, like, like, you know, <laughs> that kind of, you know, dolphin-y laugh sound. And I, I don't know, I just was hitting K-A-K-A-K-A K-A, K-A a lot. And that sort of was my way of, of pounding it in. But, you know, I looked at it, and i was like, I don't know if, if, if people will, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this kind of bizarre sound and I was like are people gonna get this and 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 John I think did a pretty good job trying to to um uh you know uh translate that into a vocal of course they were editing it I, I had it edited with um um Chris Lambton uh, worked with me uh, he's part of the Hotspur team for the editing and and you know he spent time with me trying to figure out like like what 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 what's the character actually saying in, in the middle? And there's like some believe it or not, there's some alliteration of like uh, poop jokes where he's the cacas become literally at one point there's a word where I need him to say you know you're a caca liar right? Um, and and that is no longer the the whale language. That's him you know jumping into human speech in a bizarre sense and trying to edit that was a little weird. You know at one point I had to compliment. Chris for being able to spell correctly in citation. He was very He said, "Yeah, it's one of my talents."
0: <laughs> so, will this be I mean, it does have a kind of television show episodic one adventure to the next. Uh is this going to be something you're going to be working on serializing and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, originally I I did think about serializing it, but because um, what happened was it was this short story and then I actually wanted to write a novel around it. I actually, okay, I I did try to make a number of short stories that were a little bit um, more, uh, how do you say, you know, I did slightly different characters and I was trying to make it so that it would work better as a short story. And in the end, I just fell into writing a book. So I actually wrote a book called Voodoo Robot Chili um, that is got a different character in it. Not exactly Merlot, a little bit, a little bit. Well, I don't know if I could say dumber. Um, it's actually based on a little bit on uh, you know what happened if what would happen in the future if George W. Bush um, were in in the in the military, really in the military, and going around outer space doing stuff. Um, it's sort of, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but that's kind of where the book went in the end. So I gave up on doing short stories, and then I. I came, uh, when I came across John Pio and his ability to really nail the character uh, from a, a voice point of view, a, an audio point of view, I I uh, I realized I, maybe I w- I I'll write another one of these. And so I have actually written another one and I want it to come out soon. And the idea is uh, John will do the voice and we'll just keep going. I don't see why not, because since these all come up uh, under the Hotspur name, there's really, you know, n- nothing other than I'm going to do these because I can. You know, Dave, Dave likes working with me on them. And I got Chris doing the, the line editing. And John's the voice. And um, these are all great talents that are supporting me. So I, I'm just writing the funniest stories I can and throwing them out there. And we'll just see what happens. I, I just do it because it's truly, for me, a laugh.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, I enjoyed it. I think people are going to get a kick out of it. Uh, we have three Audible download codes Um, available for a giveaway. So what we're going to do is, if you go over to our show notes for this at com and comment on the post, uh, we'll do a little giveaway uh, for those three codes. And uh, was there anything else you wanted to mention about this story before we get into the sample?
1: Yeah, um, I I think you said we should warn people there's a little bit of funny language in here, nothing too bad. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you have very small kids in the car, like, I don't know, a five-year-old, I think actually a five-year-old won't even know what the heck is being said personally, <laughs> but um, you know, if you, if you're really concerned about language, I, I suppose, just um, turn down the volume or, or put your hands over the kid's ears, unless you're driving, cause, you know, you'll get killed if you do that. Uh,
0: <laughs> not recommended.
1: Not recommended. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or keep it for your late night entertainment and, and turn it on then, but it, it's really not too bad. I mean, there, there's no uh, F words and uh, you know, I stay away from that, but you know, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be something in there. Well, certainly good humor offends somebody, right? So, somebody out there will be offended. I mean, that's the point, I guess.
0: (laughs) Sure. Okay. And then, after that five minute sample, stick around for Saul and David. Uh, They're going to chat about one of the Hotspur publishing titles, The Changeling Detective. And then they're going to talk about some just different kind of reader type. You know, what do we like in our urban fantasy? What do we like in our space opera and science fiction with humor and that sort of thing? So it's kind of a fun conversation. Um, So enjoy
2: this sample and go check out Esron Mars, Eat, Fish, and Die. You know what I like about having a plasma rifle shoved in my mouth? I never have to brush afterwards, that's what. So anyway, there I was on a bleak planetoid in the outer rim, handcuffed and on my knees. A pissed off Cassago soldier was making me suck the business end of his gun. The problem is, it's hard to talk when your mouth is full of tungsten alloy. Articulating yourself ain't easy. And muffled words often lead to issues with the alien translator. I wanted to say, would you mind getting that thing out of there? But the words get all screwed up, you see. What I end up saying sounds like, would you mind getting that thing out of there? If I was lucky, my translator would reply, say what? If I was unlucky, it would spit out something like... Woody mind gets thing mated in otter's hair. And that's a big problem, because here's the thing. Mating with furries is an insult to them fish-faced Cassago. They're the enemy of this heroic tale, if you haven't figured that out yet. Making things worse is how the translator defines Woody. I'm sure you can see the problem. But for those who are interested, combat versions issued after 2234 have resolved that technical glitch. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Even though I'm sure you're itching to find out how I survived with my head intact, you still don't know how me and my battle-ready android got royally screwed during our mission to Skajiji 364 on the far side of the galaxy. Well, it's an interesting story. First things first, my background. Military ID Sergeant Major Joaquin Merlot. Friends call me Jocko. I commanded a fully armored battle-ready android for the Earth's 5th armored division. My android's name was Horus, and he was equipped with all the armor, weapons, and sensors arrays you'd expect on a giant bipedal military killbot, but I didn't like his name all that much. So, I call him Flipper. It's a name that'll make sense as you read on. The small, bleak planetoid that we were deployed to was stuck in an insignificant part of the galaxy. It's near the third star of the Skijiji trinary star system. Third star, sixth planet, fourth moon... Hence the name Skijiji 364, and I call it just 364. Honestly, the place wasn't all that attractive. Quite frankly, it was a cesspool, a few small islands, the rest was briny ocean, mostly unfit for human habitation. <laughs> no beach resorts, that's for sure. Now let me tell you about the Kasago, the putrid fish-like enemy of this mission. Their home planet was nearby, and they claimed squatter's rights on 364, Squatter's rights are a fancy way of saying, I got here when you wasn't looking and now I ain't going. I for one would have let them keep 364, but my government claimed it based on eminent domain. That's a fancy term for, I recognize your ownership, but I don't give a crap. Understandably, intelligent minds were brought to remedy the situation. That's why both sides inserted teams of lethal killers. Hence, I got sucked into this mess. Actually, the only intelligent part was that betting took place. This came to my attention when someone sent me an office pool sheet showing my chances of survival being 1 in 16. (laughs) I didn't appreciate that because, in my opinion, the Kasago weren't that tough. If they was, they would have sent more than yours truly, the military equivalent of a street sweeper. A good nukin' is a sign of respect. Everyone knows that. Worse, though, is the need for close engagement with the Kasago. Normally it's no big deal, but these overgrown bipedal sardines are useful only for testing weapons of mass destruction. That's not a personal insult, mind you. You come to the same conclusion, and you know why? Because they stink to high heaven, that's why. One snootful is all anybody needs before an overwhelming urge to sanitize them with bullets kicks in. Now, it may surprise you to know that even though the Kasago deployed a full platoon to 364, I went alone. <laughs> Remember the pool? Anyways, I was issued as many small arms as I can carry, along with one handy-dandy battle-ready android. My pal, Flipper. Okay, now you've been briefed. Let me explain how I got into this mess. It all began when the transport dumped me off on 364. I was left standing in the middle of nowhere with a ginormous crate which contained my battle-ready android, Flipper. On that thing were four arrows, all pointing towards a big red button with the words PUSH ME glowing on it like a baboon's ass in heat. <laughs> I really love the military. They always appeal to my childhood impulses to push buttons, something I always excelled at. I may not have been fully trained to use that BRA, but I know how to push a frickin' button. See? <laughs> Idiot proof. So I pushes it and stands back. What unfolded from the box was 3,000 kilos of ammo, lasers, missiles, and armor all conveniently shaped in the form of a cute humanoid.
0: Thank you for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. I'm very pleased today to have on the line Saul Garnell and David Bischoff. Say hello, guys.
3: Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody.
0: So let's start off with Dave. For those of you who don't remember, we had an episode with these guys a couple last year sometime, like 180, something like that. David, introduce yourself briefly to those who may not have heard that episode.
4: Oh, hi. My name is David Bischoff. Um, I've been around. I've uh, been publishing science fiction professionally, um, not as a publisher, but as a writer, since the gosh, nineteen seventy-four, and um, I've had lots of books out. Uh, some of my some of the people that like my work, like Night World Best and the, um, Gaming Magi series and the Starhands series, and um, uh, oh, Mandela. Oh, lots of uh, Star Spring and Starfall, and a few others. And you know what? I do all kinds of stuff. And but more to the point, I've been also been an editor, and uh, I've written scripts for Star Trek: Next Generation and lots of other scripts for Hollywood. So um, I'm a professional from way back. And uh, if you if you notice what I said nineteen seventy four, I'm no spring chicken anymore, but you know what? I still love science fiction, so I and I love the pure the pure stuff, right? <laughs> like Saul writes, Good <laughs> stuff. In any case, no, um yeah, so in any case, um um and we've been doing some books, uh some of my old books and some other books under uh um, uh, new, new new writers and stuff under the aegis of Hotspur Publishing,
3: so that's why we're here. Okay, very Saul. good.
0: And Saul, introduce yourself. Yep. So my name is uh, Saul Garnell.
3: Uh, I really don't have the the background in writing like Dave. I I started writing back in 2007 when I was living in India. I wanted to put some ideas together, and um, blogging really wasn't enough for me, so I started working on a novel without having any idea what I was doing. And I think in, I linked up finally with Dave. I realized I need some help, so I found Dave around mm-hmm. 2008 or 2009, and we started working on my first uh, debut novel, uh, Freedom Club, which got published Wait, uh, under the hot bird. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, we like it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, it. It gets good reviews, so uh, I, I think it's a good book, and I think it's a very good book considering it's my first book, my first novel. And uh, we we uh, ended up publishing that under the Hotspur Publishing imprint uh, back in 2011. But since then, I've gone on to write uh, co-write things with Dave. We we brought, like he said, uh, we brought his Starhounds series back to life uh, by uh, first of all uh, sprucing up the the original manuscripts from 1980s. Actually, is when they were written, uh, or Dave wrote them before then. Yeah, there's a, the yeah, yeah. a couple more books.
4: Yeah, so we 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 collaborated
3: a couple more books. Correct, correct. We wrote two two short books. Yeah, Yeah. we we wrote two novellas. One, um, I think you've been mentioning it on on the podcast, so uh, Planet Killer and uh, Reincarnation War. And that was a lot of fun. But uh, we we have other uh, joint projects that we do together. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, I I just do it sort of as a hobby, I suppose. It gets more serious over time, but I just do it because I enjoy it and I like working with Dave.
4: Very good. Saul has brought in
3: some great people.
4: He's really in contact with some interesting people,
3: and um,
4: I benefited. Hotspur has benefited a lot from his contributions in terms of other other writers and other other uh,
0: volumes. Now, with yeah. the, oh, go ahead, Saul.
3: Yeah, I, I just would add that you know I I ended up meeting a lot of writers. Um, actually, while I was working with Dave, I started working with Dave when I lived in Japan. I then, after that, moved to Australia for a while, met a lot of writers, and some of those writers are now part of the Hotspur uh, group, so to speak, working under the Hotspur imprint. So, all, all sorts of people we met over the years, we bring them in the Hotspur when uh, they decide they want to work with us, and it's it's become a nice family.
4: Yeah, the, uh, we're particularly excited about uh, this most recent this recent uh, effort by uh, uh, Philip Barry. You want to talk about it a little bit?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Phil
4: is a great the, the writer The out Detective.
3: Australia. The Changeling yeah. Detective is his first novel that he he worked on with Dave and came out under the Hotspur imprint. And uh, it's a wonderful little uh, noir uh, science fiction slash fantasy. It's got a lot of different elements in it. It's, it's really a, a great, fun read. Uh, a bit of a thriller a bit of a you know it's got it's got a lot of different elements in it and uh, but Phil is a, an upcoming good writer uh, I you know I met him at um, uh, that was the, um, in Australia during the Hugos uh, when it was OzzyCon 4 I think uh, back in in 2010ish or early 11 and then uh, we became friends and uh, he then met Dave and and since then joined us and the same is actually a very similar story with uh, Susan Cartwright who uh, published um, Wolf Dawn under uh, Hotspur, and that also
0: uh, took off pretty well.
4: Yeah, and I think I think
3: Susan's been on the show.
0: Yeah. On the
4: po- do you call it a show or do you call it a podcast?
0: Uh, we can go Jim. with both. We can go with both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's so, talk about the Changing Detective a little bit. Sure. One of the things because I studied abroad in Australia, so whenever I see a story that takes place in Australia, I'm instantly attracted to it. What is the setting for, for this, besides just Australia?
4: Oh, um, well, it's kind of like this, um, I would say the movies, you know, it's like, you got to think of it' term, Isn't it's if you know what noir is, noir in French is black. And the term comes from what the French cynast the, the critics called the um, this American thing that happened, and it started with double indemnity with um, uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray, which was this great, great movie with Edward G. Robinson also, uh, written by, um, based on a novel by James Cain. And... um now there's been a other there were other detectives before then and certainly, um, uh, but that started something different. It, it, it's sort of dark. In other words, it's like, why well, they called it noir, not just because it was black and white. So basically, we're able to deal with darker scenes. But basically, this book deals with that only kind of in this odd future sort of weird kind of urban fantasy future kind of situation in which Phil kind of plays with that stuff. So it starts off with him being a kind of, he's he's Sam Spade. Now You say, who's Sam Spade? Well, Sam Spade was the big detective uh, created by Dashiell Hammett. And Dashiell Hammett was one of the main guys along with Raymond Chandler from The Black Mask, which was one of the main purveyors of um, detective stories of that ilk in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So basically, he plays with this this noir thing, only he does it in a very creative fashion. You might want to take it from there a little bit for me, Saul.
3: Yeah, I mean... it's kind of a mix. You feel like you're, you're when you're reading it, it kind of starts off and feels like it's, you're in the 1920s, but you're, you're kind of not. And um, it is a bit of a mix. of. Uh, also, it's a bit of a fantasy world. You know, it's kind of hard to tell. It starts off as, I think, fantasy, and then as you're getting towards the end, Dave, it, it becomes science fiction-y kind of world. So I, I really like yep. that in a book that kind of changes on you, you you think you know what you're reading, and then later you're a bit surprised to see that it's not what you expected. But I like that. Um, so it, it's yeah. kind of so. Full let's just say we happens. don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah. All I cool can it. say, I mean, all I can say is
4: that it's full surprises. So we can give you that starting off point. If you like Dashiell Hammett, if you like Raymond Chandler, if you like uh, film noir, you'll like this book.
0: Um, so the last time we had you guys on. Was at least a year ago. What have you guys been working on since then?
4: Well, Saul's been doing a whole lot. Um, I myself have been writing this and that, and uh, but I'm real excited right now about um, um, my contacts with this new um, startup company called Crossroads Publishing. And this is David Nile Wilson and uh, my friend uh, Tom Motteleone got me hooked up with these guys i go way back with tom i wrote three books with him back for ace books berkeley and ace books and one of the books the first one appeared as a serial in analog uh, science fiction magazine and that was Dragonstar. and then it appeared at berkeley as dad the Dragonstar. in any case we'll be having those books out eventually from uh, that publisher he's already lined up all his books from David Niall Wilson at Crossroad Publishing. Now, David Niall Wilson has been doing a lot of science fiction. He's also doing a lot of dark fantasy and a lot of other stuff. And he is really, really, he's got some people working for him and everything. We're we're not a big organization here in Hotspur. So, you know, he does a lot of great publicity work, and he's on more, uh, e-book um, networks as such. So I thought, you know, let's just give uh, Dave a try. So we did. And so um, my Starhounds books, which uh, Saul worked on to great effect, will be, are up right now. And next up will be the books, uh, the two that I worked on with Saul, Planet Killer and Reincarnation uh, War. The Reincarnation War. And, and also, eventually, the, the omnibus, which is a collection of everyone, all of them except for reincarnation, War. Uh take it, take it from there, Saul, so and talk a little bit about Starhounds.
3: sake. Yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of what's happened since, since uh, the last interview. Um, we had, you know, we we put out another Starhounds novel, and and it's nice that it's it's getting more attention by another publisher, by a I don't know a sister publisher or and, and we, I guess we'll we'll think about even coming out with more uh, Starhounds uh, novellas because you know we don't you know the the, the process for this, this series now is to take it uh, you know come out with uh, I guess more often uh, you know shorten the work a little bit you know not try to do 120,000 words but try to do something around 30,000 words 40,000 words and, and get it done sooner so hopefully we'll breathe even more life into this series. Um, so and then, uh, so I have
4: a question for yeah. you, Saul.
3: What what made you so interested in Starhounds when you read it?
4: What did you, you like about it
3: Well, I think it's it's fun space opera, really, is is what it is. I mean, that, that's how I kind of describe it. Uh, although it's a bit like space pirates is, is maybe a closer term to describing yeah. it. And yeah. I was reading you know, it, and the thing you know,
4: is, I wrote those original books back in the '80s, and I'm realizing now. It's very cyberpunkish as well. So you've got and also what's interesting, we have a female hero, but now I'm realizing, oh my god, I did this back in the eighties and now you've got this all these um heroines in sci fi movies like The Hunger Games, Katniss, and what's the new one? I can't remember the name of the new one, but you know, all these assertive young ladies, you know. So that's Laura Shebzak all over, right, Saul?
3: Yeah. It's it's interesting. You were ahead of your time, I think, at that point to come out with a character. I length. was. I, I totally was. <laughs> <laughs> Take credit. I mean, but there's a lot of characters in the books. You have a full f- crew of people and, you know, like each book can almost focus uh, on different characters. In a way, you have also sh- um, her brother, Kal Samjak, uh, which is, you know, he's, a, he's not exactly a, a normal brother because th- these are cloned humans, so... Um, the relationship is a little bit gray there about how much of a brother he is I mean, in, in a genetic sense. But he also has, you know, inca- incredible uh, abilities. I mean, with, uh, you know, basically he starts off just being extremely smart, but then it starts uh, phasing, you know, I, I've taken that character a little bit further by by sort of um, giving him more super, um, super like powers. He's sort of transforming mm. into a new kind of human being. So, um, and it's neat because there are other, you know, uh, other characters which also have great power uh, that are that are emerging in the series. So uh, you know, in a way, it can go well, any direction. Basically, beyond.
4: you're you're quite right. Basically, what what I started off with. I mean, I know I'm saying cyberpunk because she's a cyberpunk heroine. I mean, she's wired. She's got a computer inside of her. She can tap into computers. She can go stream her own identity and stuff into computers. She can travel the cyberspace. So she's a cyberpunk heroine. But we're talking now also about space operas as all space adventure. Um Star Hounds was basically modeled in a sense on a series by Edmund Hamilton called Star Wolves. So you can see what, how how I did that. Star Hounds, Star Wolves, and Edmund Hamilton was the greatest space opera writer. You know, aside perhaps maybe from E. e. Smith, but you know, he was a basic adventure writer. E. e. Smith was very much of a. Uh, he e. e. Smith didn't move as fast. Uh, Edmund Hamilton moved fast, and I always preferred Edmund Hamilton. So he worked, Edmund Hamilton was a writer in the 40s of Captain Future. He was one of my favorites. So in any case, uh, you're talking to a, a representative of the senior class here of science fiction. And I'm happy to um, tell you I was very influenced by Edmund
0: Hamilton. So what made him one of the best space opera writers? And what, what did oh, you try well, and emulate in your story? Of that.
4: He he had a lot. Of, you know what? He had great characters. He had great dialogue. He had a sense. He was married to Lee Brackett, um, who wrote who wrote a lot of uh, great um, space opera and planet adventures herself, Back in Planet Stories, was, along with lots of great noir as well. And Lee Brackett was one of the, it was the author, wrote also a lot of stuff for Hollywood. And one of the things she wrote for Hollywood was The Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars movie. So there you go. Do you
0: do you read a mixture of uh, current stuff and classic stuff? Where do you find your inspiration? Oh, well,
4: I've read a lot of stuff, yeah. I try to read – I mean, there's so much stuff out right now I can't – of course, you mm-hmm. can't read it all. So that's why I'm curious about what you're reading. I try to read the magazines, and I try to read – um the, the the occasional book that i can get a hold of right now uh getting old so i'm reading one piece by leo toy store tolstoy which i've never read so i gotta do
0: that how about you saul do you like to read uh modern stuff as well as classic Ugh,
3: uh that's a good question um with all the with, you know my, my work schedule is really heavy these days, and um, it's killing my ability to read and write. I try to do a little of both, I guess. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm reading classics, actually, myself. So I just finished uh, Slaughterhouse-Five by Vonnegut, and I Oh, great uh, book, yeah! Them. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, it really is in a way, because it, it really uh, shakes you. When you read that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of a lot of going into space opera again, a lot of it is becoming like military. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with me, uh, Tim, because I've been listening to some of the uh, recent podcasts where they describe many times space opera as a form of military science fiction, because, you know, you've got a lot of battle fleets and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of military tactics and and sometimes Mm -hmm. space opera gets so technical that people call it, you know, mill science fiction. And, um, you know, you read something like Slaughterhouse-Five and it and it kind of tells you that you shouldn't really put military things aren't always on a high pedestal. They're not things you want to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's just a message from the past. And, and I think it's a message Well, absolutely. Sometimes. In fact, one of our favorite books, I did two books in this
4: uh, series for Harry. There's a great book by Harry Harrison called Bill the Galactic Hero, yeah. which was a um, um, response to a seminal book by Robert A. Heinlein um, called Starship Troopers, which was actually the seminal military science fiction book.
3: But, but Bill, Bill, the Bill book was very satirical in a way. You know it tries to
4: well that's I mean, that's why military. it was a response Her, yeah. basically, timeline was sort of a, he was so right wing he, he was crazy, I and mean, he was he he was a loony. and um in this book he kind of revealed that uh he basically was a frustrated, sick guy who wanted to be a military guy, but he was he couldn't be in the military because he was ill. So he had fantasies about uh, about what he would do if he was in space and military. And I think he said, well, "I'll go out and kill bugs." So he went off and killed bugs and, and Starship Troopers. So, however, what he did was created a, a, a ton. He he created a lot of video games. I'll tell you, <laughs> they're called shooters. <laughs> And you know what?
3: (laughs) Like Halo,
4: you know, all these people, all these people want to shoot things. So hopefully they won't shoot me.
0: (laughs) Well, as long as they stay in the video game, you should be safe, right?
4: Well, I hope so. You know, I I asked my my, my son about this. I just gave him Assassin's Creed. And I said, uh, uh, Bernie, you know, you're not going to kill people after you, you play this game are you, you're not going to kill me. He says, no, dad, I'm not going to kill you or, or anybody because I won't be able to play it anymore. <laughs> so he's got his um, priorities. He has ground on his feet, I suppose, you know, but you know, I mean, when people goes off stabbing people in high schools, you know, you got to wonder these days.
3: And, you know, this gets back to what kind of influence do books and uh, other types of media have on the people. I mean, you know, we talk about slaughterhouse five, having a, a very, you know, poignant and very, you know, a, a very sharp message they're trying to send to you. And it'll change your mind on how you think uh, about the military. Yeah. Well, Kurt and Vonnegut and was generation. basically
4: in the war, in World War II. He experienced the, the horrors of war. He was involved with the Dresden bombings and everything. And that book uh, reflects that experience. Kurt Vonnegut also was, wrote a lot of great science fiction stories from the 50s and 60s and, and other novels before. That kind of book kind of put him over into the mainstream. And he said, you know what, I'm through with science fiction. My stuff isn't science fiction anymore. So it was, there's been a great controversy in the science fiction community on that. But, but you know what, he is science fiction in the best sense.
3: He's dead, yeah, and, so you
4: can't argue with me.
3: <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. And and you also mentioned Huxley and and going back to Tim's original question about what I'm reading. I'm also reading uh, Brave New World uh, right now, which is another book that you know, oh, yeah. you know it gets my blood yeah. it gets my blood pressure up. You know, reading it because you know he's it's a very much a dystopian. Well, I don't know, utopian slash dystopian future that is is very Absolutely. much doing something that is is something that I, I like to you know myself write about, which is uh, you know. Well, you know, technology. back
4: in the '50s, that was a. B- yeah, that was a big thing. One of the best writers just passed away recently, the very great uh, Frederick Pohl, and he he along with C.M. Cornbooth uh, wrote some amazing dystopian stuff like yeah. *The Space Merchants* and Wolf Bane. But he wrote, I think, seven great dystopian visions with. Um, uh, uh, but he also wrote some great. Uh, other things, um, The Plague of Pythons, and many other great books in the 50s and 60s. And his other books were more straight science fiction later on, but they always, the ones in the 50s and 60s always had that faint, wonderful, satirical sense. So um, that, I think, is what a lot of science fiction lacks, these days is that satirical the sense of fun
3: I'm kind of curious if Tim, if Tim agrees with that, if that's, I mean, there's so much out there these days. Do you, do you think I, I kind of feel that as well, That you know, humorous science fiction, which is something actually me and Dave are working on. Uh, Absolutely. A, uh, he's all, you know, very good at it. Yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Well, a, we, we have a book that we wrote uh, that is out on submission right now. It, it's like title right now is Voodoo Robot Chili. And I think it came out really well. And, and you know, we had a, a laugh making it. But, um, you know, now... That's military science, science fiction, stuff, kind of, isn't it? it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's... it's Well, I've got to be careful because, you know, once again, middle science fiction, you know, space opera is really, really light, I think, on the military side of things. Where when you say military science fiction, I think the the the, the common sense is that it's very technical very accurate about military concepts and military way the, the military works and thinks and operates. And, and I think, well, if we're, if we're a mill science fiction then we're trying to certainly be satirical very much in the vein of Bill a galactic hero, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's almost like that kind of, um, yeah. attitude. Oh, it's a great fun book. I really,
4: really enjoyed that book.
3: I hope, I hope somebody picks this up because I, I think it, it, it'll be, you know, well, I mean, humor is always kind of a, a difficult thing. You know, it, it sometimes it connects with people, sometimes it doesn't. I have something that I wrote with Dave called uh, Eat, Fish, and Die, which is a little short, and people seem to enjoy it. Um, but there, I'm trying to get an audio book made of it, because I think uh, having it spoken in the voice of the character, I found a really great voice talent, a guy named John Peel, who uh, has a perfect Brooklyn accent for the for the, for the character Merlot, who's the, the main character there. I think if you can bring these these books to life and the humor in the voice that they're written in, I, I think that's very important for humor. Humor just can't be read in, in, a, in, a, in a standard tone. You know, a lot of times it's the way that the joke is presented that's really funny, and it's really tough right. when you're reading it. The timing is even tougher. You've got to make sure that people read it exactly with the timing you expect them to have. So that's tough, but we you know we work on that. We try to perfect that.
0: Yeah, I just listened to *The Martian* by Andy Weir, and that was hilarious. Uh, yeah, I'm finding the books that have humor in them try and go for the audio version. Was it uh, *Ready Player One*? That was also satirical, yeah. uh, hilarious. Will Wheaton narration. Um, yeah, yeah that's... I've heard
3: that as well. That's right. Yeah, that was mentioned on the podcast. And I think that's getting at something that, you know, I hate to say it, but I think the world of books is a bit screwy, that everybody – there's a lot of editing and a lot of writing style based around the fact that people read only read books. And I think – and Dave, maybe you want to talk about this. Books weren't always read a long time ago. Books were often read out loud by somebody for other people to hear. And I think audiobooks are taking us back into that world. Where you, you don't have to write anymore, um, you know, based on standard rules of writing, you can write in a much more poetic tone, where where the words well, actually have that, to sound nice. Yeah,
4: that's but, one of the reasons why I'm looking and why we're working now with um, David Niall Wilson at uh, Crossroads Press because he actually has a segment of his organization that does audio books, so we could have um, Starhounds in audio. Uh, sometime in the future. And uh, talking about humor and, and the fantasy at this point, my gaming magi books, uh, Destiny Dice and Race Board and Unicorn Game, will will be up after the um, books that, uh, that Saul and I worked on.
3: Yeah, those would be great audio books, Dave, don't you think? Uh, is, is that I think so, fine? yeah. Sorry, I didn't ask fun. you. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I just would. I've given him the rights,
4: and he, you know, he's working on it, and he's gotten the he's gotten the art an artist who who's done uh, Terry Pratchett's books. So. Oh. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I'm very excited.
0: Very good. I hate to cut us short here, guys, but uh, it is about time to go for me.
4: Well, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, uh, 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 I'm talking to you, but I, I realize I'm also talking to the audience, so.
0: Okay, guys, so Crossroads Media, is that what it's called, or? Uh, Crossroad Press. Crossroad Press. Crossroad Press. Press. So, yeah, it's... I can
3: send you the link to that, yeah. Yeah, and if you need a, a, a paper copy, we have the Omnibus, which has the first three buttons. Oh, yeah, plus on
4: Amazon. Great value. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay guys well thanks a lot we really appreciate it thank you Tim uh, you guys coming on and you know I'll try Dave I'll really try to get some of those older books read
4: oh, just teasing you man <laughs> I you know. do what you want to do <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
4: <and> gra- congratulations <laughs> on your, your new your edition.
0: New yeah thanks you, new,
3: new child. We're I li- think you're doing a great job trying to be a dad and do the the podcast this is way above oh, your yeah. call of duty there man.
0: yeah well, we're trying to raise him a science fiction fan. We just got him some shoes that have robots on them. So uh, there you go. Thank you so much for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. To find out more about our show, our team, our reviews and articles, and so much more, head to com. If you're an author go tap those keys and if you're a reader I guess that means you should go read till next time folks keep it sci-fi